It's good to be with you this evening. Today has been a great day, and the Lord has given us another opportunity to assemble with our family, our church family, and to worship him again. And so we are so thankful that God has given us that opportunity. And I want to take just a moment before we begin our lesson tonight and just give you a word of encouragement. If you have not been in the practice of doing so, please uh, consider uh, getting involved again in writing cards and reaching out to those who have been visiting with us. If you've not been receiving the visitor list in your email over the last several weeks, please let Sister Karen know so we can make sure to get that corrected. And I want to encourage you to reach out and write cards and thank our visitors for coming and, and worshiping with us. We have had many over the last few weeks, and uh, that is a very effective way to let them know that they are appreciated. And I can't tell you how many times over the years that we've been doing this, that I've been here, that visitors have come and have talked to me and have commented on the amount of cards that they received in the mail from this congregation and how appreciative they were of those things and how that made them to feel welcome and they were glad to get them. So please don't ever underestimate the power of a simple gesture like sending a card and just saying thanks for visiting with us and we'd love to be able to serve you in whatever way that we can. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn again to Revelation chapter 2 this evening. You know, there's an appointment that comes around at least once a year, and it's the appointment that everyone dreads. It's our annual physical. It's the time in which we go to the doctor's office and we answer what seems to be a million questions about our health and every habit under the sun. We're poked and prodded, our blood pressure is drawn, our blood is taken, our eyes and ears are checked, everything imaginable. And why do we do this? We do it because we are concerned about our health. Today we're talking about the health of the church of Christ. And as concerned as we are about our physical health, we ought to be even more concerned about the health of the body of Jesus Christ. So we're looking at Revelation chapters 2 and 3 today because we have Jesus, the great physician, who is essentially conducting a physical examination of seven congregations scattered throughout Asia Minor in these two chapters. And though he will identify the things that they needed to improve, he will also identify the things that they were doing well. And by looking at the things that Jesus has to say to these congregations, we can, we can gather a snapshot, if you will, a list of characteristics that, must, uh, that are necessary and must be present in order for the church to be strong and healthy. We started looking at these this morning. Number one, if a congregation is going to be strong, then that congregation is going to have to stay true to their first love. That's the lesson of the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. They were doing a number of things good, but they were doing them for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus says, here's what I have against you. You have left your first love. They were guilty of practicing all of the actions, and the actions perhaps were right. But the reason behind the actions was wrong. There was no devotion There was no dedication. 
There was no understanding of why they were doing what they were doing. There was no understanding of who they were and whose they were. They had left their first love. Number two, from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If a congregation is going to be strong, then that congregation must remember to always be dependent upon God. Steadfast Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 was a congregation that was poor and persecuted and yet they were rich where it mattered most. They suffered, they struggled, and yet what God said is maintain your faithfulness and your constant reliance upon me. If a congregation is going to be strong, if the church is going to be healthy, then the church must always depend upon God in every season. In persecution, look to God in faith. In need, depend upon God's provision. In success, give God glory. Number three, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, the last point that we looked at this morning. If the church is going to be sound and healthy, then it must insist on sound, that is healthy, preaching and teaching from the pulpit to the Bible classroom to the bulletin articles to the podcasts and everything else the church at Pergamos was permissive they were allowing false doctrine to go unchallenged within the congregation and the Bible teaches us that false doctrine is destructive second Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 and a number of other passages make this clear if the church is going to be strong that will not happen apart from an insistence upon healthy preaching and teaching from the Word of God. Now let's turn our attention to Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. If we want the church to be strong, if we want the church to be healthy, then that requires keeping the church pure. Keeping the church pure. In Revelation 2, 18 through 29, we read about the church in Thyatira, and this particular congregation can be known as Tolerant Thyatira. And the reason is because, according to what Jesus tells us in these passages, they were allowing sin to go on unchecked in their midst. Listen to Revelation 2, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works. I know your love, I know your service, I know your faith and your patience, and, uh, and uh, as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, he says, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols." Tolerant Thyatira was a congregation that was impure because they were allowing themselves to be stained by sin. I want you to go back with me in your minds to the Old Testament book of Joshua and remember the lesson that we learn from Joshua chapter 7. You remember in Joshua chapter 6 that the children of Israel had successfully completed their conquest of the city of Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 7, certainly the children of Israel thought as if going against the small uh, city of Ai was going to be much easier than defeating Jericho, and yet they were defeated. And why? Well, because there was sin in the camp. 
Remember that God had commanded the children of Israel that they were not to partake of the spoils in Joshua chapter 6. And yet there was one man named Achan who did what he was commanded not to do. He partook of the spoils and he hid them in his house. And so when the children of Israel went up to battle against Ai, they were soundly defeated. And Joshua and the children of Israel, as a result of this, they tore their clothes and they prayed before God. And Joshua, he couldn't understand what was going on. What went wrong? God said to Joshua, Joshua, you need to get up and you need to get busy because the children of Israel, they're not pure. They're sin in the camp. So Joshua followed the orders that God would give him and he eventually found Achan and he found that that Achan had hidden these forbidden items within his house. Achan's sin had a negative effect upon the entire nation of Israel. It caused their defeat and the death of a great number of his countrymen. The sin of this one person had a negative effect to a great degree on the entire nation of Israel and it cost Achan his life. But we have an occasion of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as well, don't we? The Apostle Paul wrote in that chapter about sin that existed in the church at Corinth. He told the brethren in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1 that they had someone among them who was guilty of sexual immorality and he said that the church was puffed up about it. The idea is that they had turned a blind eye to it. It didn't bother them. They had no desire or plan or intention whatsoever to deal with that sin. And so what were Paul's instructions? Paul's instructions were, you take that brother and you deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now that terminology, deliver one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, the idea is that you take him in your hands and you remove him from your fellowship and you place him back in the world. And the reason for placing him back in the world is so that the flesh might be destroyed, meaning those fleshly desires that he's pursuing, the sin that he's engaging in, that his desire to persist in that sin might be destroyed to bring him to repentance. Now someone asked the question, well, why would, why would God, why would the Apostle Paul, why would God command such a thing to happen? Well, he says in the same context, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You see, Paul knew the lesson that the children of Israel learned in Joshua chapter 7. And that is that the sin of one left unchecked, left undealt with, has the ability like cancer to grow and to become larger and larger and to serve as a poison that will ultimately infect and will ultimately make the entire congregation impure. That's exactly what's going on in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 through 29. This congregation was not pure. This congregation, like Corinth, was turning a blind eye to the sin that was going on within their midst. And the Lord said, you have to stop this and you have to stop this now or I will, verse number 22, cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Sin is a disease and it is a disease that spreads quickly and if allowed to go Uh, undealt with within a congregation, it will, like cancer, cause a congregation to be unhealthy. So if we're going to be strong and if we're going to be the congregation that God would have us to be, then that means we have to be pure and we have to deal with sin and make sure that it is not allowed to exist unchecked within our midst. 
Let's look at the next congregation. If the church is going to be strong, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we're going to have to stay awake. Stay awake. Or you might just say, don't fall asleep. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 is the address to the church at Sardis. We can call them sleeping Sardis. And the reason why is because this is a congregation that was dead and didn't know it. Listen to what the Lord says to this congregation. These things, Revelation 3 verse 1, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. I want you to zoom in with me, if you will, to what he says at the end of chapter 3 and verse number 1. He tells this congregation, he says, listen, I know your works, you have a name that you are alive, but what's the reality? You are dead. Is it true or false that sometimes what we can see on the surface is not a true depiction of what's really going on beneath the surface? It's absolutely true. That's what was going on in the case of this congregation. From the outside looking in, if someone were simply to just go and visit on a Sunday morning at the congregation in Sardis and look around, they might see a congregation that they may perceive to be alive and well. Maybe the membership numbers were high. Maybe the contribution was high. Maybe the attitude was good. Maybe there were works that were listed in their bulletin, and maybe there were a number of things that at least seemed to be indicative of a congregation that is healthy and on fire for the Lord. But the real truth lie beneath the surface. You have a reputation, Jesus says, but reputation isn't everything because the reality is that you're, that, that you're dead. Two congregational pitfalls to avoid that the church at Sardis brings to our attention. Number one, the autopilot syndrome. The autopilot syndrome. This is the syndrome or the case in which things just keep going along. It's the old attitude that says, look, we've been doing the same thing for all of these years and we've never had to make, we've never really had to adjust or make many changes. We just keep churning along like a well-oiled machine. There's no self-evaluation. There's no growth. There's no realistic look in the mirror to say, listen, here's what God's word says. Here's where we are right now. Do we need to make changes? The autopilot syndrome, we just keep going without ever taking a look at things that can be improved. Improved. Then number two, there's the don't you know who I am congregational syndrome. This is the congregational syndrome that might be described as congregational arrogance. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know our congregation? Don't you know the works that we do and the history that we have? How could, there's no way that we could ever have this kind of a problem or that kind of a problem because this is who we are. What was it the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? If, wherefore, if any man thinks he stands, let him do what? Let him take heed 
lest he fall. You see, it is possible for a congregation to develop develop a sense of arrogance and pride within itself just as it's possible for a person to develop a sense of pride and arrogance in himself or in herself. This congregation perhaps had done just that. Either they had taken the autopilot syndrome or maybe the don't you, don't you know who I am syndrome. They had a name that they were alive. People around them listened to their reputation, but their reputation was not indicative of their reality. Do you remember what God said to Israel in Amos chapter 6 and verse 1? God said, woe to them who are at ease in Zion. Amos the unprofessional prophet who writes to the northern kingdom and details for them in one graphic chapter after the next the reality of their sin on every level. And Amos 6 verse 1 indicates to us that similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1, the children of Israel were completely numb to the reality of their situation. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and following, the Apostle Paul tells us what to do in order to make sure that doesn't happen. And here's what he says. He says, wake up. He says, you are children of the day, not children of the night. And so be awake and live and work. Be watchful as children of the day. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 to 8. And of course, there's 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You see, if a congregation is going to be healthy for the long term, if a congregation is going to be strong, then that means that the congregation, the church, is going to have to have the ability to go through some periods of self-examination. They can't fall into the autopilot or the arrogant, don't you know who I am syndrome. They can't rely on the reputation or the works that have been done in the past because all that really matters is what's happening and what's the situation right now. What is our standing before God right now in this moment? And the only way to ensure that that standing is right is if we are constantly turning our attention to God's Word and comparing who we are and what we're doing with what God's Word says we ought to be and what we ought to be doing. If we're going to be strong, we have to stay awake. Look at the next congregation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13, the church at Philadelphia. A congregation in which the Lord remarkably has nothing negative to say. This congregation teaches us the importance of staying focused. Powerful Philadelphia is is, uh, what they're known as, and here's the reason why. Listen to Revelation chapter 3. Listen to Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I want you to key in on that last statement in verse number 10. You have kept my command to persevere because powerful Philadelphia teaches us the importance of perseverance. It teaches us the importance of staying focused. And this applies in two areas. 
Number one, it applies in relation to persecution. It reminds us, this congregation reminds us to stay faithful and to persevere under persecution. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, just in the previous chapter, when Jesus uh, was speaking to uh, Smyrna, you remember he said, be faithful unto death. This entire book of Revelation written to this audience, these Christians in the first century, was written in a large, uh, to a large degree for the purpose of giving persecuted Christians strength. And so we read at various places throughout this book these uh, encouraging passages that remind us of the importance of staying strong and staying faithful and staying committed, knowing that regardless of how hot the battle becomes and how difficult and how painful the persecution may become, yet we have a God who has already won the victory. And so we can be assured of our victory. Read Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And the martyred saints under the throne who cry out, How long, O Lord? And then Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 and following, where we see the faithful of God who are there riding victorious with the Savior, Jesus the Christ, who go on to defeat the enemies of God's people over and over again. This book reminds us that victory is found in Christ Jesus. And so Philadelphia teaches us that, listen, whatever the persecution, whatever the outside pressure may be, we need to make sure that we stay faithful and that we persevere no matter what happens and be assured that there are those in our world who would love nothing more than to silence us, who would nothing more than to shame us and ridicule us because we know what the Bible says and we stand firmly planted on what it says and we seek to practice it in our lives. We live in a world of people who despise that sort of thing. But here's a second area. Not only does Philadelphia remind us of the importance of persevering under persecution, but it reminds us of persevering in the church's mission. Go back a few verses and look what he says in verse number 8. He says, I know your works and I have set before you an open door. What does it mean, I've set before you an open door? It is indicative of opportunity. You see, this is a congregation that was small. In terms of resources, they probably didn't have much to work with. In terms of a facility, they probably didn't have one. In terms of manpower, well, it wasn't likely as, as large as maybe some other congregations. And yet, in their small stature, they found great strength. And Jesus said, I have given you an open door. I have given you an opportunity. And listen, when the Lord opens a door, no one is going to be able to shut it, even your adversaries. This is a congregation that is thriving. And so God says, you need to stay focused, not only in persevering and faithfulness during persecution, but you need to stay focused upon your mission. You need to stay focused upon doing the work of God. I think about 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32 where we read about the sons of Issachar and how they knew the times. And I would suggest that a thriving congregation is like those men of Issachar who know the times and who are opportunistic. 
who are always looking for ways to improve their work and their service. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, as he looked to uh, his future travels to Ephesus, he would say, a great door and effectual has been opened for me there. Paul knew that there was an opportunity that God had opened for him, and his determination was to seize that opportunity. Listen, a thriving Christian and a thriving congregation will always be focused on the goal and will always be looking for those doors and those windows of opportunity that the Lord opens up and doing whatever they can in order to seize them and to, to the best of their ability, serve God and to take advantage and capitalize on those opportunities. If a congregation, if the church is going to be sound and healthy, it's going to have to be focused Finally, number seven, look at Revelation 3, verse 14 to 22. This is the congregation that maybe we all know best, the church at Laodicea, lukewarm Laodicea as they're called. And the reason why is because Jesus says to them in Revelation 3, 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The church at Laodicea teaches us the importance of being committed it teaches us the importance of wholehearted devotion to God. We often talk about people trying to straddle the fence, one leg on either side, people trying to have a little bit of the world and a little bit of the Lord, but that's not the way that it works. As far as God is concerned, we're either going to be completely committed to him or we're not going to be committed at all. As far as Jesus is concerned, he's either going to be Lord of our lives and Lord of all, or he's not going to be Lord at all. Laodicea, it may interest you to note, was a wealthy resort town known as a retreat city for the wealthy in the Roman Empire, and it was known for a number of its luxuries. And it seems by looking at what Jesus says to this congregation that the congregation had developed the laid-back attitude and the, uh, of the affluent city in which they were found. There's another lesson to be found there, incidentally, about the importance of Christians and of the church being those who go and change culture for the good instead of allowing culture to change the church. But that's another lesson for another time. This is a congregation who had allowed themselves to be changed and to adopt the attitude of the city in which they were found, and so they were completely indifferent to the Lord and his work. Elijah the prophet, you remember, stood on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 21. And when I read that context and when I imagine him making this declaration, I can, I can see in my mind's eye a prophet who had essentially reached his limit a prophet who was incredibly frustrated as he looked out and he saw children of Israel who were supposed to be God's people who were going back and forth from God to Baal. And so finally he said this, how long will you halt between two opinions? If Baal be God, then choose him. But if Jehovah is God, then choose him. But stop going back and forth. But he wouldn't be the last prophet to comment on that problem. Hosea chapter 7 and verse number 8, Hosea said, Ephraim is like a cake, not turned. A half-baked cake. The idea is that you're cooked and 
perhaps burnt on one side and you're raw on the other. And it's a picture of those who are indifferent. It's a picture of those who can't make up their mind who they want to be and whose they want to be. Do they want to serve God or not? The Bible tells us that if we're going to be strong and faithful as children of God, and if we're going to be strong and faithful as a congregation of God's people, then we're going to have to be absolutely and completely committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. We can't be cold or hot. We've got to be one or the other. And I think I can say with confidence that the desire of everyone here is that we have a congregation that is on fire for the Lord. If a congregation is going to be healthy, that's the way that it has to be. I want to leave you tonight with the same question that I left you with this morning. Of course, when you go to the doctor and uh, the doctor conducts his examination of you and begins to run tests and look at all of the different organs and parts and systems in the body, the reason that he's doing that is because the overall health of our body depends upon the health of each one of our organs, each one of the, of the systems that is found within our body. And the Bible describes every member of the church of Jesus Christ as being part of the body. Everyone here is an organ. Everyone here is some system or some part in the overall body. And so the overall health of this congregation is largely going to depend upon the health of each individual part. So that means it's up to me as an individual to take a step back and to examine my life in light of Scripture and ask this one very, very important yet difficult question. What am I doing to help the health of the church? What am I doing to make sure that the congregation here is sound and healthy and will be on into the future? Am I helping or am I hindering? Am I something that's going to improve or am I something that's going to uh, negatively affect the health of the congregation? I hope that every one of us can say, I'm someone who has a desire to help. And maybe tonight, as we offer the Lord's invitation, you do have a desire to help the church be strong and healthy. Maybe you'd like to express that desire by first becoming a Christian. The Bible says that God's will is for all people to become Christians, to become his children, members of the church. And the plan that God has put in place in his word for that happening is very simple, very straightforward. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We repent of our sins and confess our faith and we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And then God adds us to the church. Maybe tonight... You're a Christian. And as you examine your life in light of what we've learned from Revelation 2 and 3, you say, you know what? I have not been a help to the congregation. I've not been a help to the church. I've been a hindrance. Would you make that right tonight? Would you allow us the opportunity to pray for you and to encourage you and to help you, to build you up in some way? We offer the Lord's invitation. And if you have need, we invite you to come and uh, respond as together we sing a stand and sing the song that's been selected for us.